Hey everybody and hello humans. This is Not Robots, DC Comic Review Show. This is it, everyone. The last week of Future State. After this week, we will go back to covering regular DC books, mostly from the Infinite Frontier banner. This week, we're going to be covering Batman Superman, Suicide Squad, Superman vs. Imperious Lex, Aquaman, Legion of Superheroes, Superman House of L, Dark Detective Number 4, and Generations Forge. My name is Josh, and we have expanded the show a little bit. With me, as always, is Jared. Save the cheerleaders, save the world. <laughs> and our two new co-hosts, Rob. Hi, Dilly Ho, comic fan arenos. <laughs> and Brandon. Welcome to the machine, friends. <laughs> we summarize, analyze, and editorialize every issue we cover and strive to keep it all about the content with no publisher influence. We are on Twitter at NotArobotComics and Jared is at HoneyBadger underscore bot. We all answer show mail sent to NotArobotComics at gmail.com. We'll see if we can get Rob and Brandon to share their social media on the next show. This is their first one, so we won't let you guys beat them up too badly. <laughs> The next part is dedicated to those that support us with their hard-earned money, but that's not the only way that you can. Like, subscribe, download, and share our episodes as much as possible. It helps to get the word out, and that is the best kind of advertising. And now we're going to say that big, huge thank you to the humans who do help support the podcast. They subscribe to our Patreon with tiers starting at just $1 a month so that we can make sure we keep bringing you more and better content. This is the Not A Robot Anti-Beatbot Must Be A Human shout-out and roll call, and that shout-out goes to our humans Weird Science Jim, Blue Mondays, Hollister, Torpedo Face, and Roch Crockett. A big salute to you, and an even bigger thank you. So what are you waiting for? Sign up and show us you just might be a human after all, and get a shout-out on the Not A Robot Anti-Beatbot Must Be A Human roll call. Alright, so we have... Two brand new hosts joining us today on the last week of Future State. Let's get to know them a little bit before diving into the show. Brandon, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what got you into comics? Uh, geez, uh, where to start? Um, well, my name is Brandon, obviously. I've been reading comics for pretty much all my life, I'd say, but um, regularly, that is week to week uh, for about the past five years or so, so... Um, it was really DC Rebirth that kind of got me back into reading uh, weekly. And uh, yeah, it's, it's just been a pleasure to follow series and series after that. And um, uh, I guess it's hard to really say what attracts me uh, towards comics at this point. It's almost like an obsession, but... Um, <laughs> I can get that. Yeah, I... I uh, I wouldn't really know where to start. I, I wouldn't know where to start with the stories or the the artwork or the themes or everything else. But all I know is I'm a really big fan, and it's such an honor to be able to talk about it with uh, three other great people. Well, thanks, Brandon. I'm, they all feel the same way, too. Now, uh, I, I kind of get what you're saying. It seems like everybody has their opinion on which comic book a person should read when they're first getting into comics. But I, I'm, I'm with you. There are so many, and there's a lot of. It's like, what kind of comic book do you like? Um, that could totally change whether I'm going to recommend Swamp Thing, Superman, Batman, Legion of Superheroes. I need to know what your flavor is before I can tell you what comic book to read. And then which version of that comic book? Here? Right. I mean, the, right? the hardest thing is, you know, when someone will ask you, 
and this goes for superheroes or, or any other kind of comic, you know, where should I start? Well, it's, it's like saying, you know, if you're going to watch movies, you gotta, you gotta start with something. I mean, it, <laughs> right. You, you can't, you can't just say, I want to just watch movies. You have to think about which specific ones you want. And so every time someone asks me, you know, for a recommendation, I'm like, well, what are you, what are you interested in? What appeals to you? And then I can kind of work from there. Cause I've got pretty much everything under the sun. Tell me a movie right. you enjoy, yeah. and I can tell you something along that line. Yes, yeah. right. And I'd have to say jumping into movies is probably a little easier than jumping into comics, because yeah. with a movie, you can say, just start from part one. Yeah. But you can't really say that with a comic book, now can you? <laughs> Reboots. Every time we reboot, <laughs> reboot the, the universe. There you go. Just All right, guys, well, that was... Yeah, <laughs> well, there you go. Or Infinite Frontier. They made it easy to jump in and out of. Yeah. And, uh, well, guys, that was meeting Brandon. Rob, how about we get a little introduction from you? All right, well, I'm Rob, of course. Um, see, I, I, I'm like a second-generation comic reader. I, I got it from my dad growing up as a kid. He's been reading since the 70s when he was a child, and he bought me books from the shop when I was a kid, bought all the kids' stuff. And as I got older, I just got more and more into the more adult books and all the rest is history now. I've been reading practically everything I can get my hands on. <laughs> right on. I, uh, we, uh, Jared and I actually, uh, if, for those of you who didn't know, Jared is my little brother. And uh, we are brother. also, <laughs> we are also second generation comic book fans. Uh, our, our, uh, father even at one point ran a comic book shop. Nice. That's awesome. And, uh, I'd have to say if 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 somebody were to ask me what got me all the way head first into in, into comic books, I was reading them since I was able to read. But what made me fall in love with them was easily the death of Superman and the Nightfall story arc. Interesting. Where, and I mean, even as a young child, those are some pretty gritty, dark comic books for the time that they were in but uh man that's what that's what made me an addict uh mm -hmm. and i've i've been a hardcore dc fan ever since but that's the superman I, I, it was that crossed every single genre time magazine put out uh, a special episode where they interviewed celebrities and they were to act as if superman was real but he died like shaq gave a big o long speech i remember that <laughs> yeah, they, awesome. they did the same thing with uh, Captain America, too, when they killed him off. Yeah. He was on the news and everything. Yeah. They had Joe Quesada on a feature, basically saying, like, oh, well, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> Anything new in your neck of the woods, Jared? Well, just uh, getting ready for the MCU podcast that we're building at Not a Robot. And uh, on the comic books... <laughs> The comic books that end up uh, getting me in there. Definitely Death of Superman, but uh, the 90s series Hellblazer, I was deeply, I deeply fell for Constantine because, you know, he's a dick, but, you know, he's human. He, 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 okay, spells are real. Well, you can learn spells. I ain't me learning no damn Taekwondo. I can't, I couldn't be Green Arrow or, or <laughs> uh, you know, Nightwing. Nope. Nah. He's a lovable scamp. Yes. <laughs> Well, it is fantastic to have the two of you as part of the team here at Not A Robot Comics, and I cannot wait to hear what all of you thought about this week's comics. Speaking of which, the first book in the final week of Future State is going to be Batman Superman number 2. 
and it happens to take place right at the beginning of the Future State timeline. It has a cover drawn from David Marquez and Alejandro Sanchez, written by Jean Lunyang, with art by Scott McDaniel, Ben Oliver, Stephen Segovia, and Arif Brianto. Tom Napolitano did the letters, but Brandon is going to do the review. All right, here we go. Uh, this is part two of the last ride of the world's finest. Here we see Superman in the clutches of the new Mr. Toad as Batman fights off some sort of octopus-bull hybrid thing. Escaping through a window with one leg snapped, Batman presses on in true hardcore fashion to find Superman. Meanwhile, Professor Pig attempts a rather brutal vivisection on Superman as he attempts to negotiate with the new Mr. Toad. So, after defeating one of the magistrate robots, Batman discovers they are actually eyes sewn in to the creatures of animals inhabiting the robots. The eyes I mean, that's not of gross. Superman. Right? Oh my god. <laughs> Turns out Pig had been experimenting on animals all over Gotham with Superman's DNA. So after deducing that the magistrate intends to use Superman's DNA to boost its surveillance, Batman runs a trace uh, using the microchips in one of the animals to track Pig's location. After reuniting with the Man of Steel, Batman and Superman take down Pig and destroy the entirety of Pig's base and then awesome fight scene where Superman absolutely levels the entire base. Finally, teaming up with Animal Man to cure the animals that Pig had transformed, the world's finest return to one of Batman's microcaves, where they attempt to reconcile with what just happened. Batman essentially tells Superman to piss off after the danger he presents to Gotham, and Superman goes back to Metropolis with a touching final scene of the new Mr. Toad and his daughter returning. Uh, the art by Ben Oliver was beautiful as expected with muto- moody, dreary colors to match the tone when appropriate. Uh, though some of the art by Steven Segovia was a bit rough in some places, it worked really well in others. And all in all, it was a, a touching wrap up to a, a decent two-parter that leaves me mostly interested in what Gene uh, Luen Yang will be doing in the upcoming Batman Superman title. Yeah, I'm excited to see him doing this in the current era. Jared, what did you think about Future State Batman Superman number two? Batman Superman, I love the art. Uh, I gave it a, a 8.75. Mr. Toad pulled the alarm out of 10. It, it was it was fun. It campy. Glad to see it. Glad to see it uh, come to a conclusion. <laughs> All right. Yeah. <laughs> Jared always has custom scoring angles going on. Rob, what did you think about Batman Superman number two? I really enjoyed the story. This is exactly the kind of Batman Superman story I loved reading when, like, pre-Flashpoint, when they were doing that kind of book, which right. I find now with Rebirth they kind of shied away from. Um, Yeah, the art was beautiful. The colors were nice. Professor Pig's mask was really weird, but... <laughs> I can look past that. It reminds me too much of what they did with Black Mask for a while when he was wearing like some kind of leather daddy fetish thing. It was really weird. Yeah. Yeah. That was disturbing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know which was more, which was more disturbing Professor Pig's mask or the weird things on his hands. The hands. Yeah. That that (laughs) the hands. hands Definitely. And for a surgeon to do that to his hands seems really weird. Right. (laughs) <laughs> I, I did feel that this, honestly, you take the magistrate out, and this didn't even have to be a future state story at the same time. 
Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind yeah. of see like how it works because it's, you know, it's the magistrate essentially taking over for Gotham and you kind of have, I called it the last ride of the world's finest because it does, it, it does kind of have that vibe a little bit where it's like, you know, this is the last time they're going to work together before Superman goes off to fight on war worlds and Batman's run underground. Yeah, so it kind of has that aspect to it. So yeah. it works well with the, the magistrate stuff, but um, yeah, it really could have worked as a separate story, honestly. Yeah, absolutely could have. Rob, what did you rate this one? I would give this a 7 out of 10. 7 out of 10. All right, some pretty good scores from you guys. For me, this was a fun read. I almost always enjoy this title. Like Rob said, this is something that's always been good, quick little stories that you don't have to go back 100 issues to know the character development you know who batman and superman are and you know what kind of dynamic they've got in this book the dynamic between the two and it, it just it works together flawlessly the uh play off of each other at the very end was very batman and very superman and i love the way that it wrapped up that being said it not being a blockbuster title doesn't stop it from being a fun read that's about all this is with a touch of gruesome professor pig dashed in for me the art is good, the pace is good, but for me, it was kind of just an average comic book story, mm-hmm. no matter which way you slice it. I bumped it up because of the fun, so I'm giving this one a 6.5 out of 10. Now, while that title could definitely earn the branding of just a comic book, the next one is known for some pretty good stories, especially as of late in Tom Taylor's most recent run. Wrapped in a cover from Javier Fernandez and Marcelo Mialo, the first story is written by Robbie Thompson with art by... Javier Fernandez and Alex Sinclair with lettering from Wes Abbott. The second story is written by Jeremy Adams with Fernando Pacerin and Eau Claire Albert on Earth with Wes Abbott again on the lettering. Rob, can you take us through Suicide Squad Part 2? Okay, so when we last saw the Suicide Squad, they were not actually the Suicide Squad we thought were going to be the Suicide Squad. Connor Kent's squad, dubbed the Justice Squad, were resting and dealing with the fallout of their last mission while the real Suicide Squad, led by Peacemaker, are preparing to hunt down Amanda Waller. Problem is they have a time limit. If they stick around for too long, they're going to die in some blood-curdling explosion of some kind. Okay, so we pick up now with the Justice Squad. They're building a machine with a Brainiac tech they took from the last mission, and that machine is going to lock away Earth-3 forever from the rest of the multiverse. Uh, Connor and Aquaman are chatting about Aquaman's current race and how other people are safe, but then Waller pops up and electrocutes Aquaman, starting to show off a little bit of what she's really about. Meanwhile, Peacemaker's crew are getting ready to infiltrate what they think is Amanda Waller's apartment, with Mirror Master and Lord Zod sneaking into the Happy Harbor base where the Justice Squad is. Just as Peacemaker calls the start of the op, the Justice Squad attacks first with the Flash saying, You really believed Waller didn't know you were coming? Fights break out at both sites, Mirror Master chomping at the bit to take on the Flash. Lord Zod takes down Aquaman. Back at Waller's apartment, Clayface and Martian Manhunter take on the rest of the squad. Evil Star succumbs to the major death that's coming for everybody. And Peacemaker goes straight for Amanda Waller. But then we find out that Amanda Waller with Peacemaker is not the Amanda Waller they're looking for. And this is actually the Earth-3 Amanda Waller. Dun, dun, dun. The Waller they're looking for is actually watching them the whole time and then activates Clayface's bomb, which for some reason was in all the different copies he made. 
how she can anticipate how many copies she he would make is kind of odd. So the apartment blows up. Connor freaks out a little bit and Lord Zod takes him down for all of his teammates now dying. And now Hypnotic Wonder Woman is going for Mirror Master and trying to get him to switch sides. Mm-hmm. And then the Flash comes in and sprays Lorzod with some kind of aerosol kryptonite, which she didn't know was going to kill him, but now he's dead. And then we jump back to Hypnotic Wonder Woman and Mirror Master, where Mirror Master has now been taken over by Hypnotic Wonder Woman. But then somebody in his earpiece says, you know what happens when you switch teams, and blows up his head. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. In, There's a lot of bombs. There are. And in that vicinity were Hypnotic Wonder Woman, Superman, and The Flash, and they all seemingly were taken out by the blast. Earth 3 Amanda Waller is surprised and then gets shot, surprise, surprise, by Peacemaker, who somehow made it out of the exploded apartment building, potentially with the help of Parademon, who then just keels over and dies. Superboy comes to the rescue of Amanda Waller and attempts to talk Peacemaker down, and we find out that they actually have a history together and fought on teams together. He lasers Heat Vision down onto a device, blowing up what he thinks is the switch for all the neck bombs, and then Amanda Waller reveals that it actually was the kill switch for the machine that they built, and now Earth 3 is forever sealed away from the rest of the multiverse. Peacemaker attempts to insult Amanda Waller one last time, but then succumbs to the multiverse death and dies. And as that happens, Amanda Waller succumbs to her gunshot and begins to die, not before she talks to Connor and tells him that you're not a criminal, Connor. Like, I kept saying you weren't, and like, you don't want to be. You are Superman. Now it's your job to protect this world. So, that was... A little messy for me <laughs> it it jumped around all over the place it was kind of really hard to keep track of everything that was going on because of how much it bounced around mm-hmm. yeah uh, uh, oh, I, I like that feel though it, it, I, I found it I found it, fly, I found it flawless you know it, uh, oh, I enjoyed the art it, hey I enjoyed the comic book this week <laughs> it was, I mean, it. okay, so for me, this felt like a two-issue setup to see if there was an audience for an Earth 3 standalone book. That's what it felt like to me. Yeah. Not saying it wasn't done good, because it, it, if that's the case, it, it was good. However, uh, this taking place over just two issues, it felt a little too muddled for me. If it was stretched out a bit over three, maybe we could have been able to keep track of what was going on a little bit more. Uh, maybe it would have felt a little bit more natural in the storytelling. Yeah, was, That's just my opinion. I was thinking the exact same thing. Three issues probably would have fit a bit better because they could have spread out the story a little more. That This issue with all the combat felt a little rushed. Yeah, yeah it was really crammed yeah. in there. Yeah, I definitely felt the same way where it just it kind of felt like it really had to just hurry up and get to the end. Um, especially the that fight with the other Justice League. It just it went way too fast for my taste. Yeah. I would have liked a little bit of uh, just a break in between so I could just process everything that's happening. Right? Right. Uh, f- for me, I feel like I feel like Suicide Squad should have been a single-issue book and Black Adam should have existed on its own. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Alright, now that we've got that first one out of the way, let's move on to the second story of the title. Rob, can you finish this up here? Sure thing. So now, with Black Adam, so he's been living large on the planet Kandak. He's now dating Wonder Woman of the Justice Legion A from the 853rd century, if you all remember DC yeah. 1 million. Yeah, who uh, who saw that coming? Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, it shouldn't have been a surprise, considering... They brought in the Hyper Clan for Justice League. They seem to have a, a really and Solaris and Superman Wonder Woman. They seem to have like a, a love for the Grant Morrison stuff. Mm-hmm. It, it, there's yeah. nothing wrong with that. Oh, yeah, nothing yeah. wrong with that. Okay, so we have Gold Beetle has arrived at the nick of time to save Black Adam, Wonder Woman, and Black Adam's aid. From the Justice Legion A, who were taken over by the Unkindness, who is slowly and systematically destroying the universe bit by bit. There is some confusion as to who Gold Beetle is, but she quickly goes over her brief history, thanks to Skeets. And then brings out the Scarab from Blue Beetle mythology. Black Adam recognizes this and remembers the wizard that initially granted it magical powers. At the same time, Gold Beetle also reveals that Black Adam's aide is none other than Mitchell Shelley, the Resurrection Man. And I'll admit, I did not see that coming, but I really should have. Yeah, I felt the same way. It blindsided me, and it should not have. So as they're coming up with a plan to find the wizard that imbued the Scarab with magical powers... The Justice Legion A recovers from getting attacked by the Gold Beetle ship. I'm not sure if it had an actual name. I did not see one. And I think they just called it the BB. The BB. Ah, oh, that's it. <laughs> and by the way, man, let me just interject here. Uh, can I get some more Gold Beetle? I love that. Oh, that right. Definitely. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Definitely feeling the Gold Beetle. Now, I'm a huge Booster Gold right? fan, and this character Absolutely. speaks volumes to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking. It's a perfect blend of the two of them, and mm-hmm. I enjoyed the hell yeah. out of it. She, she's going to be Flash, enjoyed the right? The new, the new Flash? Oh, I hope so. Yeah, I think uh, so. I did, I, I did not know that. That's yeah. awesome. Okay, so as the Justice Legion A is attacking, Gold Beetle pops up a force field, and Black Adam speaks the magic words into the Scarab that opens a portal that takes them to none other than hell. And it's seen better days. They, yeah. <laughs> it is nothing like his former self. Being all gray and barren like that. They also land in front of none other than the Phantom Stranger. And this, this place is just full of surprises so far. So he describes what's going on. How magic has kind of just hidden itself away. And he takes them on a Lord of the Rings-esque journey through... DC Universe Outer Space through the Speed Force and New Genesis, and they end up at the Tower of Fate, where they find all the magical-powered beings in existence have kind of reserved themselves away into the Tower of Fate here, hiding away from the unkindness, and they're led by the Quintessence, who... Which was nice to see. I didn't... That was another thing I did not expect to see here. Now, I don't know the Quintessence personally beyond this, if they were an existing group... Yes. Yep, they're the power of the cosmos, basically directly underneath the hands. Yeah, it's a oh, wow. it's a big, huge cosmos thing, and you have to get into some pretty heavy stories for it. 
element even beyond that seeing sinestro on that team is a bit of a surprise i did not picture him in the magic world no and this this is the future state version of the quintessence this is not the one that we normally have Mm -hmm. he's the first one to master two different uh bearings of light you know he did the willpower and fear he was the first one to master that that was something that was unheard of yeah in Green Lantern lore. Sinestro was a badass. Bad guy or not, he was a badass. Yeah, that's fair. So, Barbara the High Mother, or Barbara the High Mother. Yeah, the entire team's powerhouses. <laughs> so as they're all greeting each other, uh, Shazam, the wizard, greets Black Adam. It's been centuries, well, millennia at this point, since they've seen each other. The Phantom Stranger whisks himself away, his job now complete, and as they're figuring out what to do next, Gold Beetle starts to disappear as they realize the unkindness has taken and consumed her part of the timeline. Before they have a chance to rescue her, she disappears completely. And then the Wizard Shazam beckons Black Adam to use his magic and they can add to it to elevate his body so... He can be protected from the unkindness, even if she attacks his portion of the timeline, he will be safe. He wants Wonder Woman and his unborn child to also be included. Shazam says, no, that's not possible. Mitchell Shelley comes up with an idea, being tired of being reborn and being alive, he just wants to die. He pulls a gem from his necklace, places it to his forehead, saying that she promised him peace, and as that happens... His body erupts, breaks apart, and in pops the unkindness with all her lackeys and cohorts. Attacking every magic user, there's a giant battle. The wizard tries to take her down, fails horribly. Black Adam tries to protect everybody. Attacks the unkindness, also fails horribly. Crawls to the wizard, asks what else they can do, if anything. He says, there is one thing you could possibly do but you have to speak my name. And as he screams Shazam out loud, he gets teleported across time and space in the Speed Force through my boy Tempest Fuginaut, splitting him in half. What the hell? (laughs) Straight into the Rock of Eternity, which pushes it away from the center of the multiverse and straight back into hell in the year 2021, where he remains trapped for all time yet again. And as he realizes his prison, he vows he will destroy the unkindness before it destroys the universe, and he will see his child, and that's the end. No actual resolution there. As much as I've enjoyed the whole Black Adam story between both issues, I was kind of disappointed with this end. I thought it was going to end on a little bit of a higher note, maybe a little happier, less depressing. It's a Black Adam story. It's all depressing. <laughs> yeah. look, look at his origin. It, yeah. There is a reason why he is always so damn pissed. Yeah, I would, I'd break bad, too. <laughs> oh, definitely, yeah. All right. Rob, what did you think of the whole issue? As a whole, I, I enjoyed the first issue immensely for Suicide Squad as a whole between Black Adam and Suicide Squad story. I had such high hope for it. Just how rushed the Suicide Squad portion was. Uh, kind of put the book down a bit for me, but Black Adam definitely brought it back up until at least the end because it just seemed a little confusing as well, like why he's in 2021 now and what's going to happen and 
how is he going to get out and what what will he do now it just it's i'm kind of conflicted but as a whole i i'd probably give the book a 7.75 7.75 out of 10 well that's fair uh, other than the action panels which seemed a little weak to me just a little bit the art was pretty good throughout this whole title especially on the splash pages the story was equally as good if not better right up until the end. I'm kind of confused about what happened, and I don't understand why Black Adam was sent back to 2021 to be imprisoned in the Rock of Eternity again, but hopefully this will be ironed out going forward somehow in Infinite Frontier. But as of now, the ending kind of spoiled this one for me a bit. Overall, the whole thing was a bit better than average, so I am going to give the whole book a 7 out of 10. Brandon, what did you think about Suicide Squad and the book as a whole? Uh, I kind of have really the shared opinions of, of everyone else. I, I was kind of lukewarm on the first issue of Suicide Squad. I enjoyed the Black Adam backup immensely more than I enjoyed the main Suicide Squad story. Uh, and I had hoped that the second issue would help it pick up a little more. Uh, and it didn't really do that for me. It just kind of rushed to the end. So it just kind of left me feeling a little lukewarm. And, um, you know, I'm hopeful that because this was only a two-parter, the main Suicide Squad series will be able to flesh out its plots a little more. But uh, for me, it was uh, a little, little rushed. Um, not as, and as I said, the Black Adam story. I felt like the second part was interesting. I enjoy the appearances from the Quin, the new Quintessence, and kind of connecting all the the magic stuff. But like I said, on the whole. This one kind of disappointed me a little bit, too. I thought it was going to wrap up in a natural way, um, but I'm hopeful. It seems like maybe this is something they'll touch on in the upcoming Justice League title with Black Adam, but uh, we'll see. So on the whole, I'd, I'd probably give it about a 6.5 out of 10. Seems fair enough, and it seems like we've all got pretty much the the same ideas coming out of this book. Let's see if Jared rounds that out for us. Well, um, the, the Suicide Squad, I actually thought that the art was good. It felt like a feel good. It felt felt like a feel good story. And did you be able to see Amanda Waller die? <laughs> yes. Black Adam should have been a standalone. It was impeccable. Totally feeling the Gold Beetle. Uh, fear in the Quintessence because that's that's OP. Now, overall, the Black Adam story was better. Uh, it would have scored higher if, if they would have just split them up. But combined, I'm gonna give it a. 7.75, the wizard finally chose Prince Adam, and as I wrote that, I started thinking, Prince Adam is He-Man. <laughs> so, <laughs> the wizard chose He-Man! So, eight, uh, Wouldn't that be yeah, fun? seven point, I'm gonna bump it up to eight just because I left with that. <laughs> eight, eight, the wizard choosing He-Man out of ten. <laughs> All right. There we go, guys. Now, going back to a single-story issue, next up is Superman vs. Imperius Lex. It has a cover from Unique Paquette and Mark Russell writing. The art is from Steve Pugh and Romulo Fiardo Jr. and Carlos M. Mangual did the lettering on this one. Jared, take us through the conclusion of Superman vs. Imperius Lex number two. Well, as always, I want to start with the cover, and it is creepy. Like, maybe if it was draw the inspiration from Tales of the Crypt, I don't know. Kind of that whole entire creepy issue of Mad Magazine feel to it, with the way that just the way that it was drawn. But I see it, that. I could see that. 
Yeah. Right, you know, it's, you most expect to see was it Alfred E. Newman. Yeah. You know, dressed as Superman with a beard or some shit. <laughs> right. But it shows, this story shows Lex being a beautifully mastered manipulator. Stating that the threat of the revenge from the plants that he, that he straight up deboed. You know, he deboed <laughs> all their stuff. Yeah. Well, it's, what's that? Right, that's mine now. That's my gold chain. I'm gonna go cry in my car. Uh, well, he said that we take the list out there, but holy shit, we found pay dirt. You know, because, well, they have the whole entire setup from last week where Lois Lane's got to go to Luxor, uh, Lex's planet, and be able to welcome in the, in there. Well, they signed, they signed the ordeal, and congratulations, you are now officially a member of the United Planets. But holy shit, we found pay dirt. I'm going to pronounce this wrong, but... Durium? Deuterium crystals, D crystals, amplify <laughs> energy, so that solves the energy crisis that's going on. So that means, hey, these are going to be a high demand. Lex is thinking profit, profit, profit because of the welfare of his people, because he's a giving, giving person, the greatest humanitarian of all life. In case you guys haven't noticed, Jared is a Bex of a Lex Luthor fan. I can tell. <laughs> yes, but. The problem is, Lex is already signed into being a member of the United Planets, so now that means... He's only been on there for like five minutes, it seems like. Because Lois is still there, they're still signing the contracts, but ink's already on the paper. And he was using it to try to protect himself. But now he's got to give a portion of all the money that he ends up making from the sales of the D-Crystals to go towards the United Planets. That fucks, that fucks Lux up for a little bit. Then, Just a little bit. Yeah, all that profit gone, that could help my people. But he is a Luther. As he states, rules are just really suggestions. Lois gets to decide how long he's a member of the United Planets. So, he's gonna keep her hostage until she gives up. Kind of straightforward. Does not say he's gonna hurt her. Well, he might have. Yeah, he said to Starbird, but the robot talked and said he's just joking. Lex gets praised uh, by the X-99, that little robot I was just talking about, for when he took down the big blue Boy Scout until Kale was able to disable the suit, keeping Lois until Lexor's released membership. Once again, Kale screws Lexor, taking a sample back of the crystals <laughs> to the fortress, where he can make copies and deprive the the innocent people of Luxor from the profit of and being able to better their lives. I'm gonna give this eight, and I know this goes against everything we stand for at the podcast. But as soon as I read it, I just oh, I knew it was it. Eight mother of robots out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! All right, Rob, what did you think about Superman versus Imperius Lex? Oh, it was a really fun story. I really enjoyed the first one. I could not wait to see what this one would bring, and I wasn't disappointed. It feels like a classic Superman versus Lex Luthor story. If you think about that DC Alphabet book with Lex Luthor stealing 40 cakes, this kind of reminds me of that, but with a lot more murder. (laughs) He had to kill a couple of guys to get the 40 cakes, and he got away with it. They even uh, they even referenced that in the first issue of this, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Oh, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I don't know if any of you have played Borderlands, but every time I see Lex with that weird mask to make him look younger, I just think of Handsome Jack, and I cannot stop thinking <laughs> about that. 
Oh man, I ha- I haven't played that in a while, but yeah, yeah. That, I oh man, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> uh, I'm really excited to see what will happen next. It ends on a kind of a cliffhanger, but on like a wacky kind of what will he do next kind of Looney Tunes esque cliffhanger. Like the Roadrunner ran out of patience with uh... <laughs> Wiley Coyote. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Also, how did Lex just straight up... I know he's the leader of a planet, but he straight up murdered a whole bunch of people and nobody said anything? Nobody cared. He's their savior. The, they're, well, they're, it's a whole he, planet full of Jareds, man. Yeah. <laughs> no, he, no. I mean, he, he killed people from the the United Planets. Yeah, yeah. They, nobody has been able to report it yet, though. That's the reason. Yeah. So, And yeah, right now, you're able to do whatever the hell you want because you got them to be able to back you. Just like... So not, Trying to get political or anything like that, but people part of a you know, United Nations. Hey, well, we'll make sure no one picks on you, no matter how much you contribute. We'll make sure no one picks on you, so smaller countries are able to be able to be protected by bigger countries. So, United Luxor is a s- smaller planet, so it's able to be protected by the larger planets because they're world members now. Interesting. I didn't yeah, think of it like that. Yeah, and then all those crystals that he has are now worthless because Superman found a way to synthesize it. <laughs> so he screws Luther out of being able to uh, sell the cure for the energy crisis. That damn boy stuff. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Brandon, where were you at with it? Uh, I I really love this issue. I I think Mark Russell has such a great voice for Superman, and um, yes, he does. Yeah, and I mean, I I enjoy him on a lot of things that he does, especially those Hanna Barbera comics that he did a while back. So it was exciting to see him be a part of you know a main DC book for a little while. Mm-hmm. And then I think Steve Pugh is just such a great classic artist. Uh, he brings a lot of emotion to scenes. I love the way he draws like. Lex when he's upset it's so great so expressive uh just brings a lot of emotion and uh and like I said I I really enjoy the story and how you know Superman's kind of able to screw Lex uh once more sorry Jared but it's always fun to see (laughs) I got feelings you know (laughs) (laughs) well as far as I'm concerned this is Lex is Lex, Soups is Soups, and Lois is Lois. It's just all in space. Oh yeah. I see no problem with how the story went down. They they were done wonderfully. Like Brandon said, Mark Russell has a great voice for Superman, and about the only other person that I would put in front of him would be Mark Wade. Wow, that's that's high praise. Yeah, I mean that's I mean I'm talking about writers that are currently still in the business. Oh course. yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, no, but you know, um, sad man. I do. We're gonna need so much hate now. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think we got a a pretty decent, fun to read, well drawn comic here. I had a lot of fun with it over the course of the two issues. Um, the little throwbacks about the cake thief deal made me giggle. And man, I hate to admit this, but if we actually think about it, this is the whole story. The two part arc is all Superman's fault. He initially reacted without thinking things through, you know, like yeah. like Batman would. Um, <laughs> uh, overall, man, I did enjoy this one a lot. For the average kind of comic book it was, it, it bumped that score all the way up to 7.25 for me out of 10. The comic book had the small feel. Clark screwed up 
What? So what happens? Season five happens. Well, he screws <laughs> up again, so season six happens. <laughs> He's always cleaning up his own mess. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Well, all right, everybody, that is it for the first half of the show, and we will be right back to cover the rest of our issues after this commercial break. And we are back. Hope that wasn't too horrible. Thank you for sticking with Not A Robot. Now let's wrap up Future State, shall we? Moving from space to, well, more space, but in the confluence, we tackle our next book. Written by Brandon Thomas, with art from Daniel Sampier and Adriano Lucas. Letters from Clayton Cowles, with Sampier and Lucas on that cover art. Our next issue is Future State Aquaman number 2. Honestly, so much happened in this issue, but at the same time, so little happened in this issue. Uh, <laughs> I, I wish that this summary could be longer. I love both of these characters the way that they're represented here. The art, just like in the last issue, is 100% absolutely beautiful. The problem here is that most of this is flashbacks and a lot of jumping around in time that points us to pretty much the same thing. Um, it doesn't take away from the issue, but it just means we sum it up pretty quickly. The confluence is the giant space ocean that connects all space and time, and it's a living thing. Because Andy is a water wielder, <laughs> she can control the confluence. She accidentally forms a leg from some water in the living ocean, and they resent her for it. For those of you who don't remember, she accidentally cut her leg off in the last issue. Now she has one made out of living water. She refuses to let it return back to the ocean until she has rescued her brother Aquaman. So she's forced to survive for six years on her own, and she does so using all of the lessons that she learned from her brother. Eventually, she is able to break Jackson free from his prison, and they are once again together. The issue ends with a caption box that says, Aquaman and Aquawoman escape again. It doesn't mean that we're getting more of the story, but I sure wouldn't mind reading it. I love Jackson Hyde. He's a great character in every single iteration I have ever seen him in. And Andy, hell, she's cool as well. I want more of this duo. I'm just really bummed out that I don't think we're going to get it. I give this one a final score of 7.5 out of 10. Rob, what did you think of Aquaman? I honestly couldn't agree with more with what you're saying that it was a great book, but it honestly didn't have a lot to say about it. And I was thinking about that when I went through it the second time. I, I don't know what else I can say. I also love these characters. I'm a huge fan of the Aquaman Rebirth series. I'm hoping yeah, they find a way yeah. to continue some kind of Aquaman. I, I haven't seen anything for Aquaman going forward in Infinite Frontier, but I really hope they, they find a way to bring that book back. Me too. And if they do, put these two in it. That, these were a, They were a great duo. Princess Andy is an amazing character. I love Jackson. Ja yeah, Jackson's been great since the first time that I remember ever seeing him as Jackson Hyde was probably on Young Justice and uh, where he played Calderon. And, uh, you know, he, he, he looked kind of similar, but he had different sort of different powers and he had those weird water tattoos on his arms, but I thought they looked cool. And ever yeah. since I met him there, he's just been in, he's been one of my favorite DC characters. I love, uh, I guess he's not Aqualad anymore. He's Aquaman's. It's yeah. awesome. Yeah. To he see always him had a great Aquaman. moral compass. Right. 
Yeah, the the art was amazing. Uh, the colors were great, especially in this this alien thing that they're in. Uh, yeah, it was it was just a great 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 story. I gave it an eight point five out of ten. Eight point five out of ten. Fair enough. I wanted to give it that high, but I'm. I tend to be really, really critical and score my stuff a little lower. <laughs> Brandon, what did you think about Aquaman? Uh, I'm I'm with Rob. I, I I mean, I think I was just so in love with the artwork. It kind of moved the story along for me uh, a lot more, and uh, and I think I enjoyed it a lot more for that. But um, I I saw yeah. someone compare the back and forth of Andy and Jackson to Damien and Dick in Batman and Robin. And I, and I definitely kind of agree with that. It was a lot of fun. Like it, it yeah. kind of had this fun partnership, working together and training and that sort of thing. And I, I would definitely love to read a book that's just the continued adventures of this Aquaman. Um, and then I, I echo everything that Rob said with the artwork. I, I'm, I'm so excited to see Daniel Sampere just draw the hell out of Superman um, in March. It's, right. it's going to look amazing, <laughs> especially if it has the same color work. I, yeah, I really hope, I hope that him and Lucas stay together because they are a phenomenal team. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Jared, what did you think about it? Well, you know me, I've, I've always been an Aquaman fan. The art in this particular whole storyline, not just this issue, but just going for this issue is, th- is four words. This art is B-E-A-utiful. It, <laughs> it, it really helps the story flow. Uh, I love all the feel that it's in, that it has. It's a very good Aquaman future story, so I don't know, maybe uh maybe a black label for Jackson and Andy, or you know, is DC Barry go fuck up something you're not supposed to be doing, and you know, bring <laughs> these people on there. <laughs> right? I'm gonna have to go. I, I absolutely loved it, and last week. I gave a 3.5 or something like that to a, to a story, so I'm kind of stingy with the two, but I, I enjoyed it for, for what it is, and I I, I love the story. 8.75, not Confluence. Freaking call it Cosmic Space Ocean. It sounds cooler yeah. out of 10. So 8.75. <laughs> but all right, we are going from characters that I do absolutely love to characters that I used to. Brandon is going to be taking us through Future State Legion of Superheroes number two, written by Brian Michael Bendis with the cover and inside art done by Raleigh Rosmo and Ivan Placencia with Dave Sharp on letters. All right, this is part two of Brian Bendis's attempt to create his own five years later. Um, does he succeed? I'll let you decide. Um, like with his other Legion of Superheroes run, not much happens in this issue, so I'll just go over the essentials. Uh, the Legion fight Element Kid, and, uh, Cosmic Boy is kind of frustrated, he, he's demanding justice, he wants to personally kill him, uh, then we find out that Tosmia, who's kind of been relaying this information to him, is actually revealed to be Chameleon Boy, and he's been duping him the whole time, so he's even more upset. And then we have another reveal that Saturn Girl was actually a spy sent by uh, the planet Titan to spy on the Legion. So you can start to see where a lot of these reveals are just piling up on top of each other. Uh, But with the help of the Legion, she's able to abandon the government on Titan, uh, reunite with the Legion. John shows up at the end. I 
don't remember how that happened exactly, but he does. Um, and they're shown in that final splash page with a grand long live the Legion, which is nice. Um, and as I finished right. this issue, I realized an important lesson that uh, Brian Bendis, for no matter how much he may try, is no Keith Giffen. Uh, and for as much as... <laughs> <laughs> for, He's for no as, Peter Griffin. <laughs> yeah, ain't that the truth? Yeah, uh, for as much as oh, I, man. I, I personally enjoy Riley Rosmo's stylized art, and I know he gets a bit of flack, um, personally, I think I'll stick with the Five Years Legion that I actually enjoy. Um, and all in all, I would probably give this issue of five out of ten, and that's me being a lot more generous than I should be. <laughs> um, you know, I I can't believe I'm saying this, but the story that got put together here was it was not half bad for Brian Michael Bendis. It's stuck. It, look, I'm d- don't get me wrong here. I'm not writing him a fan letter by any stretch but compared to the stuff that i have read this is gold <laughs> uh, he's ruined the titles and um, you can't you can't do a different criteria well he he writes shitty so i have out of his shitty shitty writing stuff this one's not as shitty no hold up to the damn company standards for the love of god this guy yeah. he had he had miles morales which which he which he did great. Yes, and he can write for that as well. This is Legion of Superheroes for the love of God. Uh, uh, it debuted when Mom was born. Yeah, I mean, I'm a huge fan of Legion of Superheroes, and oh, yeah, I always have here. been. They, they they've uh, it's I I am not a huge fan of time like period pieces hmm. it, it doesn't matter to me if it's in the future or in the past i'm just not interested i'm a, I'm a present-minded kind of guy but i've always jonah hex loved, is really good well okay so there's jonah hex too yeah. there's, those are the two things that are outside of time I, forget, <laughs> I wasn't even thinking about jonah hex but so jonah hex but uh legion of superheroes that that was the only thing i really read that was set in the future and saturn girl and element lead and all of them they were they were just as much near and dear to me as as my characters like Batman and Superman. So when they were handed over to Brian Michael Bendis, I didn't know what to expect. No one did. Now I do. Now now I do. It's okay. Getting back to the issue, it's still far too many word balloons and caption boxes, but at least the art that's being covered up is from Riley Rosmo. I am not a fan. I can't stand it. Wow. To me, it's visually assaulting. I And I'm not trying to be rude. I'm not trying to be, you know, uh, uh, I'm not trying to make a big deal out of it. I'm, I'm just flat out being honest. When I look at that page, anything that he's done, I, I have to struggle to get through it. As a matter of fact, uh, I know Jared was listening to the podcast back then. I don't know if he was on it or not, but when he did the Robin King, uh, uh, comic book, I couldn't even finish it. I, it was, I, it, it's just, I, I just, it's horrible to me. <laughs> but, um, touching on that note, this style, like I mentioned, uh, our listeners know it's just not for me. It's messy. It's a regular. Just overall, it's unattractive. Um, that said, 
the initial concept of the Legion of Superheroes that Bendis wrote and did absolutely nothing with over the course of the year with the first book has now been completely dropped. They are not continuing that storyline. From now on, the Legion of Superheroes will consist of a few of the original cast members plus the Legion of Substitute Superheroes. Now that's a whole year's worth of comics, buying them at $4 a comic. And hoping that he pulled off something grand at the end of it, he just drops it and moves a hundred years, a thousand years, whatever it is, into the future, and and decides he's gonna pick up and start all over again. And I mean, excuse me, I've seen what he did in concurrent titles with the Legion of Superheroes, with with Young Justice, for example. He did he's the exact a same thing. Sleeper agent. He's he just... trying to purposely destroy <laughs> DC. <laughs> he, he just he he has great ideas, and I can't take that away from him. But he should not be the one to write about those great ideas. Yeah. Um. If if I was a fan and I was following that Legion of Superheroes story, if I'd be pissed as hell if I bought a whole year's worth of comics that led to absolutely nowhere. That's a long time and a lot of money invested. Look, this team is continuing after Future State, and that's not okay with me. The story idea is good, but I've been reading his work since he started, and he has dropped the ball every single time. Again, I'm trying to be generous here, (laughs) and I'm giving this one a 4.5 out of 10 for me. Jared, what did you think? Well, as always, I don't don't try to pay attention to who's writing it, so... I made a little note of, of course, Brian Bendis. Why the hell didn't I see that coming? Because at best, subpar art, and that's giving it very kind. Uh, not a fan of that style whatsoever. So many fucking dialogue boxes. If I wanted to pick up a damn story, I'd write... If I wanted to pick up a book, I'd pick up a story written by someone who's got this thing called talent. <laughs> it's hard to take it seriously either because it is really it's, it's supposed to be this like I, I kept calling it his impression of five years later and that's definitely a story right. that puts you in its element it's mature in a way and this is like every moment where there's tension it's there has to be a joke or you got to cut away or you have to ask questions and it, it just really deflates any sort of tension i could feel towards this book to the point where i'm just like i don't really want to read this anymore Nope. Mm-hmm. Just like true Brian Bendis, get Bendis style. You're getting your money's worth if the story was written pro bono. I, I have to give this 5.25 Mother, I'm home out of 10, which was a creepy damn line when I read it. I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> because my daughter would do that to freak out my wife. <laughs> Hello, Mother. <laughs> alright Rob where did you put it at I get the feeling that this show's not a huge Bendis fan and I feel like I'm gonna fit in perfectly (laughs) I agree with the dialogue boxes but I will admit I found there wasn't as many useless ones as I find in a lot of his other writing with just people talking about nothing to do with the story whatsoever just what's going on with their day there wasn't any of that that I could find. Yeah, that ladder dialogue that he's so famous yeah, for. Yeah. Hey, what yeah, are you I, doing? I can't Who, stand me? That. Yeah, you. Oh, well, I'm going to the store. Which store? That store over there. No, <laughs> nobody, nobody needs that kind of 
dialogue in a comic book. Yeah. I mean, it works it's well. It's just wasting space. Yeah, it works well in... I don't know if you guys have read his early crime fiction. I got one of his earliest works, Goldfish, as a Christmas present, and it works really well there. Like, it's, it's got this kind of... I don't even know how to describe to it, or describe it, but it's this fun, witty tone to it. Um, and I just, I don't think it translates to everything. It's, it's so stylized. It just can't, it can't work for a big cast of people mm-hmm. or certain characters. It just doesn't fit. I didn't mind it when he was doing his ultimate stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was actually reading that as a teenager. So it kind of fit really well with me at the time. But nowadays it, yeah, it's, it's too much. I, I find it hard to get through the pages sometimes. Yeah. But this one, I, I will admit, I really enjoyed the story. It, I'm not a huge Legion fan. I just find it's too many people to pay attention to at one time. But I, I did enjoy this story quite a lot. It wasn't too pulling on the mind. It was a little simple. I'm also a huge fan of Riley Rossmo's art. <laughs> oh, no, another to one? To be honest with you. On Joshua Williamson <laughs> a few years ago under the Vertigo banner called Deathbed drew me into it yeah. i oh it, i remember that honestly it took me a couple issues to really get into it but by like the the middle of the the book i was in for joshua williamson but by the middle of the book i fell in love with ross mozart and i've the robin king story was a little odd for his art style i find he's he's better with fantasy and horror and less with the superheroes I suppose that's right. He wrote the uh, Martian Manhunter mm-hmm. miniseries as well. That definitely and, had some horror elements. Man, uh, th- oh yeah, that that did have some horror elements into it too. But that, that it was that particular title that really threw oh, me yeah. off from hmm. him when it started with Martian Manhunter. Uh, it it was uh, up until that point he didn't bother me so much, but I guess he wasn't quite so prevalent on 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 characters that were near and dear to my heart. I I, I guess I want to see those in like magazine quality type, you know, Javier Fernandez or yeah. uh, Daniel Sampier or Zermanico or you know, I mean, there's Alejandro Sanchez, anybody, any of them out there that you know that can draw amazing, and then I've got Rosmo who. Who I mean, and I shit you not, you know, I've, I've seen kids yeah. that draw just like that, and I'm not trying. I'm not oh. trying to be rude, <laughs> you know. I'm I'm not, but I mean that that's uh, you know I got an eight year old that loves Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and I guarantee you, if I held up a sketch of his next to a sketch of Raleigh Rosmos of the Ninja Turtles, they wouldn't be that different. I'm not trying to be a jerk, man. It's just a really relaxed, casual, non-professional type of animation. (laughs) Yeah, that's okay. No, I, I think it's definitely it has to be a preference, you know, because stylized artwork like that can be very difficult to get into. I remember starting to read books by Jeff Lemire, and you look at some of his work his penciling work and it's like oh i don't know about this but the more the more (laughs) that you read it you kind of slowly get into it and that doesn't always happen but i think it kind of happened for me with riley's work because i remember i couldn't get through that robin Mm -hmm. king book either it was just too ugly but i saw a little backup that he did in the detective comics 1027 with james tyne the fourth and it was him and batman and robin and dead man and i was like oh this that is was perfect great for him because it was really yeah it was like a, a fun like you know horror story and and i 
jokingly said, you know, if they ever wanted to team him up and do like a Batman Deadman series, I think he'd be perfect for the job. But yeah, I can definitely see <laughs> how it can be jarring. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it, I think it's all about personal preference, oh, yeah. you know, and honestly, it, 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 okay, so every time I tell somebody this, I usually get a very strange look, but one of my top mm. five movies of all time is American Psycho, <laughs> and <laughs> so, I mean, I get it, it's all about taste, mm-hmm. that movie doesn't exactly hit home with a lot of people, <laughs> but, uh, so, I, you know, Observe I get it, report. <laughs> right, but, um, Okay, sorry, I lost track of where we were at. Has everybody given uh, the rating? Just one more thing to say about the book. Um, despite all the stuff we're saying about Rosmo's art and how much I love it, one thing I'm noticing, if you look at the final splash page at the end, take that as you will, there's not uh-huh. a lot of feet being shown. Mm-hmm. No, I was yeah. getting some serious Rob yeah. Liefeld vibes. I, I still enjoy the rest <laughs> of it, but I there's... There, Bouncing Boy is the only person with good-looking feet. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of odd, isn't it? <laughs> and I think John Kent was only shoved in so Bendis could say, Hey, look what I did with John. Remember that? Was he... Yeah. I don't even remember him being in the first issue, and I thought he was like with the Justice. Yeah, he's supposed something. to be Superman right now with Metropolis. I, I don't... I was so confused. His costume's kind of weird, and he's got some kind of weird mustache, and that I I don't know. That was just a weird inclusion for me. Yeah, agreed. (laughs) All right, did we get everybody's final scores on that one? I I would give this. uh, I initially rated it higher, but I think I'm going to give this maybe a six. Yeah. Six out of ten. That's yeah. still pretty high as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. But, I mean, this is just, I mean, everybody has dream teams. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, this one is just my I, I just found the story yeah. fun. That that's For Bendis, it was a fun story. That's that's the only reason I rated it a little higher. And 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 that's what it got. Uh, that's why yeah. I had a 4.5 <laughs> on me. And I, that's, I, it, it, the compliment came right out of the gate, guys. I said <laughs> this was a good story for Brian Michael Bendis. But all right. So we are now going to head off into another point of time into the distant future. Written by Philip Kennedy Johnson with art from Scott Godlewski and Gabe Altaib. Lettering from ALW's Troy Petiri and wrapped in a cover from Yannick Paquette and Nathan Fairbairn. Jared, what is going on in Superman House of L? First thing happens when we pick up this issue, which I definitely recommend because it is gorgeous. Just look at that cover work. It's got some beautiful tribal uh, feel going on at the, the, the corners and the bottom that kind of incorporates the Superman logo. Yeah. But it also looks like cool. aliens kind of kneeling to the out, the outside of it. Oh, yeah. And you see a whole mess of people wearing the the House of L logo. I don't know if, if they're really descendants or if they're people that just admire. If all, if all of them are descendants or if some of them are just people that admire. Because this seems like that'd be everybody having a bunch of kids to be able to breed with a whole bunch of different people. <laughs> uh so I'm thinking some of them got to be, you know, add-ons or husbands or some some shit like well, that. Well, yeah, sure. Well, it starts out everyone's everyone with got Superman logo on and they're fighting parademons. So right to the action, fucking love it, epic. 
Uh, with the assumption that these are the offsprings of a few lines deep because, well, you see the OG Superman on the cover. Brainiac 4 is running the, the tech department, which, good choice, because he's Brainiac, you know. Doesn't matter what reiteration, what iter, it doesn't matter what iteration he is of Brainiac, he's always gonna be the best one at computers. They got the super logo, she's got the blue lantern ring, uh, for Hope. Uh, her brother is Ronan. I don't know if that's gonna end, if they end up doing a continuation story, which please God do, cause I'm loving it. Her brother, Rowan, they had to be twins or something like that, cause one letter difference, that's something like a mom and dad would do. You know, like, hey, you're For already, sure. you got, you gotta share a birthday, you might as well share a name, you have one letter difference. Sounds about right. Ronan's got his own Superman outfit with a badass cape, and it kinda looks cool on him, I like the design, it seemed like it could have been one of those things where, like, if Superman was, in a movie, and he's trying to decide what his uniform would be, or like when Superman's TV show, I, I'm pretty sure they're going to take it up much later than him be deciding to be Superman, but like at every, all the rest of the comic book shows, they go through all the different designs, didn't quite make it, you know, like, I'll try this one, nah, I don't really, don't really feel it, and then they go on to one that's their own, like, like Flash did, did a whole bunch of them. Um, right. So it, it looks good. It, it would have made the final cut if I was to be a superhero and shit. Let's but be you real, dude. Big... You would be a supervillain. <laughs> I am. I would never do anything to harm my loyal subjects. His loyal subjects. <laughs> Did you catch that? <laughs> well, damn everybody else, man. There's uh, a big fight coming this way, which everyone's seems to be in a panic from. And of course, this big fight is parademons. And if you remember. Shoot, even in the Wonder Woman story last week, parademons are, are still a problem at the end of the existence, so they're going to be a problem now, because why the hell not? Apocalypse is, needs to be blown the hell up. But it's not going to, because that's a good escape go for anything Tosna as well. Dark side's in charge of the shit. Alright. They got some great, uh, great fight scenes. The action sequence carries along. The art is solid throughout the entire book. Brainiac 4 goes down, gets taken out by this female predator. I can't remember her name. It's not Brainiac 4 anymore. Now it's the Red King for some god-awful reason, and boom. Whole bunch of the Super Superman logo-wearing team, or the House of L, as you were, team up on a fight with at least four Doomsday, which seems, eh, well, it seems like you're fucked. Pardon for my language and everything like that. One Doomsday killed Superman. This is four of them. I didn't know right. this was a battle royale. You know, this thing, you're not tagging in one at a time. No, it's not endurance. It says you got four of those sons of bitches on you. No bueno. Yeah, no, definitely no bueno. The Black Racer shows up to stop the Predator chick. R Red Superman. Apparently, Red Superman means you're the bad guy. His name is Pyro? Pyrus, yeah. Yeah. Pyro Hose. Huh. <laughs> 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 is just laying, laying down some, some butchering and shit, and then. Zoom, what happens? Bam, it's the OG Superman. He comes up with, he comes up with the quickness, catches one of his punches, and then if you look at the, the panel, you can see it was, yes, a bitch slap straight across old Red's face, knocking him down. You can see he ended like this after he struck. That's not a regular slap, that's a bitch slap right there. He put him in his place. Because he's the OG Superman. Then he grabs his hand, and they fought. Because, well, you know, you just got stomped, so you're going to listen to what the hell I say. They grab their hand, and they fly off to 
the prison that the OG Superman has been sent to by Cersei, the same person who created the pyre hose uh, to, to destroy <laughs> pirates, whatever. <laughs> Looks like pyre hose. The magic in his existence to destroy the house of L and the OG KLL is going to be going to drive, fly him to the dimension that Cersei put him at to be that world Superman. So he's using the weapon that she used against his family, Py- Pyros. Yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, to go, to go fight and protect the place where he was sent as a punishment. So it worked out good. I, I loved it. it. It was a great story. I recommend this to, to, to the, any, any level of reader. If you're just wanting for a fun story and you're just starting out, I'd recommend this. It's not going to have any bearing or anything, but you get kind of the tone and for for Superman and for someone who's definitely a completeness, a completionist, then I definitely recommend it. I I enjoyed it tremendously. I'm giving it nine point two five OG Superman bit slaps out of ten. <laughs> All right, you know, for an oversized issue, I thought this one was a pretty quick read. I found it a little strange that Superman had a kid with Cersei, but hey, comic books, right? I really he's been around for a long time, you know. Shit, yeah, I guess you, know, I guess you run so out of people. options. <laughs> I really enjoyed the art in this one, and seeing all the different kinds of descendants of Superman and all those wicked cool costumes. Oh yeah, that was that was amazing. I loved it. I gobbled that stuff up, man. That was definitely uh, fan service, and I'm not gonna complain about it. The story, though, uh, though a quick one shot, was done really well. This is a great read if you're a Superman fan and a general comic fan. Uh, I'm giving this one a 7.75 out of 10. Brandon, where were you at with it? Uh, I enjoyed this way more than I thought I was going to. Uh, I, I originally hadn't even planned to, to pick this one up, but I, I saw that cover and I, I was it felt like Superman had reached his Dune vibes, like I got a, a real House of Trees right? feel. Um, oh, and, yeah. and so I was, yeah, I just, I kind of, you know, read it. And uh, like I said, it, it felt like a really creative take on the legacy of Superman. I find this world to be really fascinating, and I kind of hope that they'll return to it again, but I know that it still works as a one-and-done story. Like, if that makes sense, it's, it's, it's good enough that you could just read it on its own, and it's an interesting take on the legacy of Superman, but also it'd be kind of cool to see it come back. Um, in terms of... Yeah, the, 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 the story and the characters annual. that they used here... That it it would be really interesting to see where they went with it, but oh, yeah. again, like you said, it it works as a one shot too. Yeah, I mean, well, I uh, an annual, and it's Pariah that I was thinking of. Ah, uh, oh there yeah, right, Pariah. Right. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, yeah, it it would be interesting to see how the present day Superman viewed like having this big legacy, you know. Um, so I don't know if if anyone's interested in exploring that if. Kennedy Johnson is interested in exploring that. I would definitely say pursue it. Um, and in terms of the artwork, I, I have been kind of meh on um, Godlewski in the past. Um, Me too. Me kind too, of actually. Like is really nice a standard penciler, not like bad, said, uh, but nothing. I see what you're saying about the you know, nothing groundbreaking. Just kind of like a oh, yeah, yeah, just kind of a standard that was, penciler. That was perfect. I felt so like great. he really was in his element. And Rob, what did you think about it? Uh, particular. Issue I honestly really enjoyed this book as well, a lot more than I thought him. I would. There were definitely a couple 
I didn't really know where to think about this one in terms of just how it fits in with everything. Again, it didn't feel like a future state book, much like Batman Superman. It much could have been like an Elseworlds story. The the whole concept of this these future descendants, all these children of Superman. One thing I'm I'm curious about is if all of these people are actually related to Cal L. If he actually just spread his Kryptonian seed across the galaxy and all these people ended up back <laughs> back in on Earth or wherever they are and just all decided to wear the crest of L. Well, I guess the artwork. Yeah, that's yeah, why. Although it's possible that you know they could be. Some of them could be like great grandchildren of John or something like that. Yeah, I think one one set might have been mentioned to be related to John mm-hmm. in a way. Descendants, I think it was the twins were descendants of John Kent. Yeah. Uh, the art, I actually really enjoyed the art. That opening splash page, full of action, mm-hmm. nice colors, sets the tone for the book. I find you get to see a little bit of each character at their best, doing what they do. I did find some of the the character personalities a little one dimensional at times. Like they just that one emotion, that one idea, and that's all they are. Yeah, that's a little stale and played mm-hmm. out. But all in all, it was a, a fun book, and there's a lot of characters in the background I'd love to see more of as well. This this could be a great uh, compilation book, a great team up book, and I'm a huge Lantern fan. You put a blue Lantern in there, you put any color Lantern in there, and I'm sold. Oh yeah, that's yeah. That's usually enough for me too. <laughs> yeah. All in all, I gave this a seven point seven five out of ten. The very final issue we're covering before we get to the bookend is Dark Detective number four, written by Mariko Tamaki, with the cover and art from Dan Mora and Jordi Belair, with Aditya Bidikar on lettering. Here is the last story of Bruce Wayne in Future State, in Dark Detective number four. This issue starts out with us getting a look at Peacekeeper 1. I got some info last week that led me to believe that this might actually be Bane. And man, if it was the case, that would have been so awesome with the little seed that was planted from Joker messing with Bane just a few months ago. Uh, But that's not the case. It certainly doesn't seem to be, though. He is a big muscular dude, but it doesn't appear to be Bane at all. He's got a mohawk with red hair. But other than that, picking up where we left off from last issue, Bruce is, of course, living with Noah, and his daughter, of course, is worried about her dad. Bruce sticks her with a needle and knocks her out because he knows that the magistrate is on the way. Bruce isn't crazy, like I also suggested. It it, it was a distinct possibility, but obviously I was wrong. He's using Noah's paranoia to cover up his detective work. And he knows that the magistrate is closing in on them. All of them. So he leaves with Noah's kid and Noah. That's why he stuck her with the tranquilizer. Bruce takes them to a safe house and tells them who he really is. And then they go to the magistrate. He tries to save Hannah as he's infiltrated the building and attempts to fight off Peacekeeper 1. They battle nonstop, trading both barbs and blows. And finally, we get to the very last page where I'm kind of confused by the three panels at the top. I, I'm I'm not exactly sure what's going on there. I, the explosion goes off in the building, and I think everyone b- but Batman, obviously, thinks that he has died again. I can't really tell, though. Yeah. 
The last caption box says that Bruce Wayne's adventures continue anew next month in Detective Comics 1034. So I hope we get to see him working his way toward who he is in this title. I really enjoyed it. It was a fun way to wrap up the very end of Tamaki's run with Bruce Wayne, unless she's continuing on after Future State, which, honestly, I wouldn't really have a problem with. Jared, what did you think about this story? Glad to see, hopefully, the Magistrate is dead. Or Peacekeeper 1, whatever. I'm glad to see the story is over for the love of God. Let's stop, move on, recognize the mistake you just made, and better ourselves. But, uh, overall, for the comic, the story it carries something that I just don't care for the Magistrate, magistrate storyline at all. Uh, the countdown aspect was cool, where it's going towards the bomb. I'm gonna give this 8. End of the Shadows is light out of 10. That makes some sense. It's a great book. Brandon, where were you at Brandon, with it? Um, well, I, I, I've been freaking loving Dark Detective so much. Such a unique and interesting take. And when I heard that pitch, that's a I was really like, good way of saying. Yeah, I was like, oh, that sounds so cool. Um, and <laughs> you know, Bruce having like this eclectic band. I don't know what other way to describe it, but this like strange band of people that he's living with, Noah and his daughter. It's it's just been a lot of fun. So I felt like this one wrapped it up fairly well. Um, I think that him getting to the fight with Peacekeeper 1 was a little rushed for my taste because he spends a lot of time learning about them and then immediately he's ready to storm the castle. It just, I don't know, that one was a little too fast for me. Exactly. With limited tech and he's beat up, he's still dealing with the the, the physicality of the, of the bullet wound. Yeah, and, he had and it's still sewn up by a butcher. Yeah, but he he manages to infiltrate the magistrate headquarters with no issues whatsoever. Yeah, and and his household is that of like the question. He's a brilliant detective, but he lives with a crazy person. And the questions aspect they're both the same entity, but he gets a paranoid. Uh, schizophrenic for a roommate who thinks that the milk is spying on him and stuff so the question is to deal with thinking the shoelaces are out to yeah, get him yeah. <laughs> and it felt like they went from the you know the plot about how the drones were watching them to just straight to destroying Peacekeeper 1 which like I said was a little rushed but on the whole I felt it wrapped up in a, in a pretty nice way and I just can't praise Dan Mora's artwork enough I really cannot I have been following this guy since he was posting fan art of Batman Beyond, and to see him on um, an official Batman book with such a cool story, I just I'm I'm so happy. Um, so I'm leaning towards an eight point five, maybe on a really good day a nine, but for now a solid eight point five on this. What a great conclusion! And to answer your question, Tamaki is continuing with Dan Mora next month on Detective Comics. I can't wait. With Dan Mora. Yes, with oh, Dan God, Mora. that's great I, I can't wait. Because if they can do... <laughs> I didn't touch on the art, but, oh, man, it is. It has been absolutely beautiful. Absolutely. In every and if they could do this in a, you know, kind of throwaway future state tie-in, I can't wait to see what they're going to do at Detective. So I, I felt great about this one. Sounds good to me, man. I can't wait for it either. Rob, where were you at with it? I loved the story thought it was great i cannot wait for detective comics if this is the if this is what we're going to be getting i want more of it i want all of it give it all the art was amazing dan moore is doing great work 
I was kind of disappointed with the Peacekeeper 01 reveal. This whole time, the past two months, they've made it seem like this great big mystery, and that's going to be the whole thing with the whole Magistrate storyline, and he unmasks, and it's a Guy Gardner ripoff. I don't know who that is, if anybody <laughs> recognizes him at all. Send the us, in some, send us in some show mail or hit us up on Twitter. Yeah, I really thought it was going to be Damien. What what a reveal that would have been. So, like, yeah. I don't know, personal to see him come this far, but I, I don't know. Hush. Have it be yeah. hush. Don't have it be Damien, because Damien's kind of slender and thing. He, gets that he could have been taking some supplements. Him, I never know. <laughs> Right, but what was it? Tommy is that is that Hush? Yeah, Tommy Elliot. Yeah, yeah. Have Tommy? Had it be Tommy? Yeah, shoot, that could work. That would have been groundbreaking. Yeah. Had it be the yo shoot uh, Ghost Hunter, Ghostmaker, Ghostmaker. Ghostmaker. Have it be Ghostmaker. Yeah. That's who I initially Shit. thought mm. it might have been was Ghostmaker, but that doesn't look like Ghostmaker yeah, whatsoever. I never His, pictured him as Ghostmaker. Yeah, no. And he's well, way too big to be Ghostmaker. Yeah, that's why I thought it might have been. Who did the supplements? Who knows? Amazon delivers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Bane would have been really cool. I think oh, yeah. I I was kind of in the camp of Bruce's long lost brother, mm. the who became Talon, William Cobb. I I don't know that's, how you guys would have felt about that. Too. That that would have been weird, but I I think I would have dug that. Yeah, just I would have I would have dug it too if he wasn't used so irresponsibly. No offense, yeah. Dan Turgens, if he wasn't used so irresponsibly in the Nightwing book. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, the purple glows was a nice touch. I love when they do the yes. throwbacks like that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, all around, I I give the the story an eight point five. All right, and now for the final story in the final book before we get to the bookend. Written by Joshua Williamson with art from Gianni Milogiannis, Jordi Belair, and letters from a larger world studio's Troy Pateri. Brandon, can you run us through Redhead? All right, so we pick up with the reveal that Jason Todd is wanted for quite a bit of money, and... Uh, Rose is kind of chiding him on it, saying like, oh my god, you're worth so much money. What did you do? And Jason is slowly looking in on the Mad Hatter, kind of wondering what the heck is going on, how he's been set up. Um, but before Rose has a chance to kind of, you know, attack him and confirm the kill, he escapes and goes on the run. And he's speaking with the uh, magistrate dispatch, asking, you know, what the hell's going on with this mask alert, why he's been put you know, under a, under a wanted list. And he's slowly attacked by the magistrate's drones. And you get this really cool action packed fight between Jason Todd using this, I don't even really know what to call it. Like this hook on a, on a line to basically bring down the magistrate's drones as he flees from the scene. His helmet is crushed. He's bloody. And he's basically trying to get away from them to figure out what the heck is going on. So, he climbs up a building, uses some kind of health spray to kind of uh, heal himself briefly, and then, knowing that the uh, Red Hood contains mind control technology, as was revealed in the last issue, he puts it on, hoping that it will lead back to whoever is initiating this gang. So the Red Hood uh, 
basically leads him back to this strange tower. Uh, and the big reveal is the villain who's been orchestrating the Red Hood gang is White Rabbit from that Batman New 52 comic. I don't even remember which one it was. It's kind of forgettable. But anyway, yeah, a fun use of White Rabbit. Um, so Jason is kind of going back and forth with White Rabbit, um, you know, wondering what she's doing and why she was uh, using the Red Hood gang. Um, and it seems like White Rabbit is about to have the slip on Jason Todd when Rose Wilson, the Ravager, shows up uh, and reveals that she had a premonition, basically, of her cutting Jason Todd's throat. Um, and, you know, I guess Jason thought that uh, she would save him, but that was not the case. Um, but White Rabbit then offers Ravager uh, a bounty to or offers uh white rabbit offers rose wilson the chance to kill jason todd and collect the bounty that the magistrate has put on him uh but she refuses and uh well actually no uh they end up fighting for a little bit uh because jason is still being controlled by the uh red hood mask um but ultimately she is able to break the mask, um, and Jason is able to regain consciousness, or, you know, he's not under mind control anymore, and then they're both able to uh, just kind of escape from the scene, uh, and I don't think White Rabbit is captured, but basically they end up exposing the whole uh, Red Hood gang plot, um, and then they meet up with Peacekeeper 3, they kind of explain everything that happened, everything has been cleared. Uh, and then the second big reveal at the end of the issue, we see Jason walking up to his bike and he's talking to someone in an alley. And we don't know who it is, but the mystery is that it's someone who is deeply connected with the family because he mentions a line about how he is someone who sticks to the shadows. Uh, and... We end with a really cool scene of Jason driving off into the distance uh, as he and Rose are going to go on a vacation. Uh, so <laughs> all in all, I would definitely say I, I enjoyed this backup story. I really liked the first part. I really liked the, the art. It kind of had a, a manga influence in a lot of places. Um, it's a really great kinetic action. The faces were a bit... Uh, wonky at certain points they work really well in some and not as much in others but i'd say on the whole i i enjoyed the portrayal of the characters in terms of their appearances um and uh, i just have to say i really like joshua williamson taking his hand at some of these gotham characters i really do um so i would probably give this one about a seven and a half out of ten right on man and Rob, where were you at with the whole issue? All right, I'm a simple guy. You put a Robin story in front of me, I'm going to read it, no matter which Robin it is. <laughs> Jason Todd. Both. Yeah, Jason Todd is definitely one of the more interesting Robins mm. of more recent times, which I, I was just a toddler when he was killed the first time, but how people hated him back then, I, I hear how it was happening, I, but nowadays I don't think that same vote would happen again. No. 
I got grounded for a week for using the phone for it, but I voted to keep them. <laughs> that's true. That's actually a true story, by the way. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> well, you made a good choice. You made a good choice. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't do no damn good. You got my ass whooped for nothing. I mean, I was talked to and sent in the corner to politely think about my actions. <laughs> Uh, I I really see where you're coming from with the the manga style. That red motorcycle reminds me a lot of the the cycle from Akira. Oh, yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, with the, especially with that red color to it. I think this is probably the most interesting story involving the magistrate, and puts the magistrate, at least for me, in in a different light with that reveal they did at the end. Mm-hmm. This mystery person who, for some reason, I think is Bruce Wayne because yeah, it always is. I think so. The fact that this is going to be to be continued honestly makes me excited for what will happen with the magistrates, despite the fact that I'm happy the magistrate that we've seen so far is over. But this idea with the magistrate that there is something bigger and there's somebody at the top that everybody's working for seems very interesting to me. Me as well. What'd you give the issue as a whole? As a whole... Honestly, I'd give this a a 9.25. Between both stories that are both great, the art style was great, the writing was great, you can't go wrong. All right. And Brandon, what did you rate the issue as a whole? Overall, I would say probably about an 8.5 out of 10. I just really enjoyed the Red Hood story paired with the uh, Dark Detective story. And even if I enjoyed the Dark Detective story a little more, I think it kind of evens out my my, uh, collective score. Gotcha there. Jared, Red Hood and the whole issue, where were you at? Well, I absolutely, I absolutely loved the, the OG Red Hood toss back because I, I love the, the throwbacks to establish storylines that actually shows that the writers and the creators of that particular issue had done at least a little bit of research. Right. I, I dislike the Mad Hatter tech, not because I don't think it's a great plot point, but just because it's utterly frightening to me because you put on a hat it gets a sunny, and all of a sudden, you know, you're somebody's bitch. Right. I'm getting <laughs> overall between Dark Detective and Red Hood, which I'm a huge, huge Jason Todd fan. Stole the hub, stole the rims off the Batmobile, folks. Come on. <laughs> uh, overall, Dark Detective, which I agree, I I did like just a little bit more. I'm have to give this a seven point five. Revenger to the rescue, out of ten. <laughs> And that will bring us to our bookend issue of Future State, the official end of the timeline, you know, except for some of the titles. <laughs> We're heading into Generations Forged. This is the conclusion to a story given to us at the very beginning of Future State. Typically with multiple creators, we would break it down by story, but that's not the case here since there's a lot of people on this and it's all one big story. So by categories, it is. It was written by Dan Jurgens, Robert Venditti, and Andy Schmidt with an art team that consists of Mike Perkins, Marco Santucci, Paul Pelletier, Norm Ratman, Bernard Chang, Joe Prado, Colleen Duran, Brian Hitch, Andrew Curry, Dan Jurgens, and Kevin Nowlin with coloring done by Hi-Fi. Tom Napolitano was on those letters and Liam Sharp on the cover. So without further ado, let's put Future State into our Now at the core of things here we have Dominus, a bad guy who just wants to have his perfect life by altering time around him. He's a big family dude and that's all that matters. He's mastered chronal energy and manipulation, though I don't remember from where. Not 
yet anyway. I was given homework for reading up on him, and it's been so long since part one to this book came out that I've all already forgotten. It doesn't matter. In any case, Dominus sent our heroes scattered throughout time and space, separated from each other. Commandi, Starfire, and Dr. Light are together trying to figure out how to get to the rest of the team so that they can reset time. It turns out that they were put on Krypton pre-Baby Superman. Meanwhile, Steel and Superboy were transported to prehistoric Earth and are a bit tangled up fighting off the dinosaurs. Later that night, Steel catches Superboy up on who he is exactly in the future and kind of blows his mind a bit. But as if they didn't have enough problems, Dominus sent a couple of his troops, the mixed-up linear men, after the duo. Now Sinestro, Batman, and a different Booster Gold are dealing with all of their own particular situations as well. After being able to sway ultra-humanite and major force to their cause, the, they head to Brother Eye. Using some chronal manipulation of their own, Booster Gold manages to bring the whole team back together with a few extras. This is where we're told exactly what Dominus is, a former Lord of Order that embraced chaos. That is not good news. He's a being of pure energy with no permanent physical body, and that's also pretty bad news. Kind of hard to punch something that's not really there. After being transported to Dominus' realm to take him on, they realize that they must destroy the place to disrupt his power and hurt him some. In doing so, they erased the constructs of his family. Constructs that Dominus himself considered to be real. As you can imagine, he didn't take that too well, and he is really mad now. Using a bit of science logic, Steel and company find the turbine that powers his chronal creations, and they destroy it. This takes away all of his power, but not his life. Powerless, he swears revenge to his now-gone family. Wave Rider returns everyone to their respective homes right to the second that they were swept up. Everything gets tidied up in a nice little bow, and we're given this line about the Linearverse. A place that our heroes belong to, where time moves differently and people age far more slowly. So finally, a comic canon reason as to why and how the characters age the way that they do. It's definitely not necessary, it's a little bit of fluff, but for continuity nerds like me... It is hugely appreciated. I really like this one. And I mean, really. The art, the story, the whole thing. This one, I'm going to be giving an 8 out of 10. Wow. What did you, what did you think about it, Brandon? I'll be honest. I picked up the first one, Generations Shattered, because I liked Robert Vendetti. I, I really didn't care about anyone else involved in the project. Um, <laughs> right. I saw it was a Gauntlet of Artists. I was like, ooh, Robert Vendetti. I know him from Hal Jordan uh, and the Green Lantern Corps. This will be good. Uh, and it was okay. It it kind of reminded me of like Zero Hour in that it's it's uh -huh. fun to read, but I don't know if it it's like lasting in any way. It just kind of... It's it's like one of those books that you just kind of read, you put to bed, you say that was really fun, and then I don't think about it all that much. That being said, I did like the range of artists that they chose for this issue. I, I don't know if I like them as much as the ones in the last issue. I thought those ones were really great. Um, they mm -hmm. got just some some really stunning people to to come in, and uh, uh, they got Doug Braithwaite to do a couple pages who I absolutely love. But yeah, all in all, I, I would say. I enjoyed the story as like a fun team up between these like bizarre characters, um, especially seeing the retro thirties Batman and like 
this futuristic city and he's trying to figure out what's going All on. Right. And then Steel and Superboy had kind of this great back and forth. So that was fun. Um, I laughed out loud when Batman went, wait, AI? That's a real thing? Yeah, yeah. Isn't that great? <laughs> I'm like, dude, do you have any idea what the other you does? I know. <laughs> um, but yeah, right. on the oh, whole... Yeah. Uh, I, like I said, I'd say I enjoyed it. There was some some good artwork, not as great as the last issue, but still pretty good. And, you know, an enjoyable read, but I don't know how lasting it'll be. So I'd probably give this one a six and a half. That's fair. That's fair. I understand where you're coming from. Mm. Now, what I would offer you is I'm under the assumption from a few earworms that I have that what we got out of Generations were issues that were already set up to introduce us to the previous new era of DC that they were going to do being the 5G, where we were going to have all these different timelines happening at the same time. That got scrapped when Dan Didio was asked to step down from DC, and we moved more into the death metal leading into Future State, leading into Infinite Frontier Plan, where... Wonder Woman was put at the center of everything mm. and we got the reboot that way. Um, so they still got what they wanted. They, they got, and I do too. I think, I think ultimately that the way that things went down and the, and the way that they did the reboot is far better than coming up with so many different timelines. It would be yeah. so hard to keep any form of continuity together. Everything, everybody would be tripping over themselves. I wouldn't enjoy that at all. Rob, what did you think about this one? Okay, and now it's time for our favorite part of the show. It's time to pick our top three books of the week and our favorite panel slash moment of the week. Rob, you want to start us off with that? Coming in at number three, I had Superman versus Imperius Lex. It was a fun story. It felt classic. I can't wait to see more. I'm very happy there's a third issue coming of all the books that we got this week. The fact that that's getting out of the one I think is perfect. At number two, I had Dark Detective. As I said before, the story was great between both that and Red Hood. Putting them together in one book made it even better. Uh, that's why I rated it so high. But putting in number one, I had to put Aquaman. The colors were beautiful. The artwork was amazing. And I am in love with these characters. I'm a huge Aquaman fan ever since Rebirth. I had to put it number one. There was no way I couldn't. I <laughs> can't blame you there, man. What would you say is your favorite panel slash moment of the week? I was kind of conflicted on the favorite panel. At On one hand, I wanted to put that splash page at the end of Dark Detective with Peacekeeper 01 and Batman falling through the uh -huh. window with the explosions. The artwork was amazing, but I had to give my favorite panel award to Aquaman at the end of that, they had a splash page, no pun intended, <laughs> of <laughs> of Aquaman and Aquawoman escaping from whatever confound they were in. Through the water, all the sea creatures around them, the colors were amazing. I thought it was beautiful. I would put that as a poster. Oh, yeah, for sure, man, for sure. And, Jared, how about your top three and favorite moments? Well, I want to start with an honorable mention. Uh, Nubia, a real one, is not, I'm not the target demographic, but I wasn't the person that actually gave the review. I gave it to my 10 year old, my 13 year old, both to read. And if you have it, it is a, it's, you got a lot of reading to do. It's like, 
It's a book. Oh, yeah. Uh, but they both, for, they did the impossible. It made my 10 year old and 13 year old both agree that it was, they both really enjoyed it. Awesome. For, so for awesome them to news. both be able to agree and there's that much story behind it, you know what? I, I definitely recommend it. Uh, all right. Great. I love the character. It, it gives future generations of comic book readers or really people familiar with them, uh, hope to be able to continue. But for my top three, uh, for number three, I chose Aquaman. Uh, number two was Generations Forged. I absolutely loved it. Alright. Uh, and my number one was Superman House of L. But my, the, the best panel, happen, I happen to agree, was in Aquaman when is the, the full splash page not a dialogue box to ruin it? And forget poster. That's one of those things where you get set up where you get printed out and you put it on three different canvases. <laughs> yeah. And oh, you just, yeah, for sure. That's, 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 that was art. That was not just drawing a comic book. That was art. Oh, was, yeah. what, mm-hmm. Great job. Can't argue with that. Brandon, where are you at? Uh, well, my top three, hmm. I definitely had a tough time because there were a lot of good books, but coming in at number three, I would probably say uh, Superman House of L. I just thought this was such a cool concept, and I, I, like I said, I could definitely see myself coming back to this one and really immersing myself in that legacy world. Um, Absolutely. And even if the artwork wasn't perfect at every point, I just that that concept alone of the the thousand year legacy of superman sold me right from the get-go um at number Mm -hmm. two i have batman superman uh by gene luen yang Uh, i thought it was you know like i said it was a serviceable issue but i think i upon reflection i i really did uh enjoy it in a lot of ways and um i think i enjoyed it more because i'm anticipating what yang is going to do on the batman superman title in the future um, but like I said, a fun last ride for the world's finest. And then coming in at number one, just an absolutely amazing comic, uh, is Future State Legion of Super... No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> coming in at number one is, is uh, Dark Detective. I'll worry shit myself. Just absolutely incredible. Um, and I, I can't praise this book enough. I love the artwork. I love Tamaki's voice for Bruce Wayne. I love the Blade Runner right. setting. And it just works so well. I was sold from the first issue, from the moment I flipped it open to now. And like I said, even if the ending was a little rushed, I was fine with it in the end. And I felt like the uh, Jason Todd backup was just as entertaining. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm also looking forward to Joshua Williamson doing more work in Gotham. So yeah, definitely got to recommend Dark Detective as my number one book for the week. And uh, as for my favorite panel... This one was also kind of tough because I was torn between um, that really great double-page spread of Bruce punching the Peacekeeper one. It's just so much that was a good one, wasn't it? <laughs> in that that one, like just shot. It's it's so great. Uh, but I was torn between that and there's another scene in um, Future State Red Hood where it's Jason Todd crouching in an alley and they're like magistrate troops to the side and Jason's got like his hand on his shoulder and that would make if i could blow it up that would make such 
a great computer wallpaper. Um, but oh, for sure. if I had to choose, I'd probably <laughs> oh, go yeah. with the one from Dark Detective or from the main Dark Detective story by Dan Mora. I just I, I love that that shot of Bruce punching the ma- or Peacekeeper one. It's really great. It's a pretty picture, regardless of if it's violent or not. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I am pulling a lot of comics from the same ones that y'all did. Uh, I my th- my number three spot is going to Future State Aquaman number two. If the other two on this list weren't as good as they were, this would have easily made number one. Mm-hmm. I love the character so much. I love the world, the stories absolutely awesome and speaking of worlds that i love like brandon this thousand years into the future superman house of l stuff i would gobble that up forever there's so much you could do it's almost like a instead of a legion of superheroes it's like a legion of superman yeah it's awesome or super people as it were (laughs) and i i could read that forever man uh, my number one spot, big surprise here, is going to go to Future State Dark Detective number four. Dude, this this book was so fun. It was so amazing. The art is, it's beautiful. And the story in both of the titles, I had an absolute great time with. And the, the chemistry between uh, between Ravager and Red Hood. Man, I, I I couldn't get enough of that either. I, I enjoyed the Red Hood just as much as I did the Dark Detective story. However, my favorite moment doesn't come from my number one comic. It's It's got to be Superman putting the smack down on his kid Pyrus and then holding him down by stepping on oh, him man. and saying, don't get up yet, son. I want to speak with you. <laughs> that, is- <laughs> that was awesome. All right, and now since we have our favorite moments out of the way, it's time for your favorite part. It's where we pick the biggest thinker. Oh, that's nasty. Well, um, this probably shouldn't come as a surprise, but the biggest thinker for this week has to go to Future State, Legion of Superheroes. I just did not have a fun time reading this book at all it it was just all over the place like i said and i really just had to grab the essential moments and i and i I said this earlier but any kind of tension that any scene had was just deflated every time a character would open their mouth and it just ruined any feeling of anything that i had for this book so uh, I'm, i'm sorry bendis i like daredevil but i just i can't i can't read this and say i'm having a good time (laughs) <laughs> I can't blame you there, Jared. Who made your stinker? Well, once again, I say it's not a, not a big surprise. So far, we're going two for two for uh, not robot podcasters here to choose the Legion of Superheroes as a uh, two-roll flush. I mean, <laughs> I mean, Bendis has his, his niche and stuff like that. Have him draw, oh, I don't know, the things with Amy Farrah Fowler at the end of the issues when she's talking about flashbacks and shit like that. That's more his wheelhouse. Give him two pages. Don't have him ruin franchises that have been around for, uh, let's see. Ever? <laughs> 60 years? <laughs> okay. 
Let's see if Rob feels the same way as you two. I might actually just be the odd voice out. I I definitely agree that Legion was a a little bit of a stinker at times, but honestly, for me, the biggest stinker was Suicide Squad. For me, it was just too messy and too all over the place to really keep track of. It it was way too rushed. It it really needed to slow down. I know everybody was dying quickly, but just slow down a little bit. Yeah, I I noticed that too. Like I said before, it it probably needed to be stretched out over three issues. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna go with the first two of, uh, but I'm gonna go with the first two opinions shared by our co-hosts here, and choose the Legion of Superheroes as my stink list today. It is, it's just bad. The the <laughs> this again this the story the story could work, but it is better in someone else's hands. So that's who made my stink list today, and that's the show. Come back next week where we will be reviewing Infinite Frontier number 0, Batman 106, and the first issues of Swamp Thing, Crime Syndicate, Suicide Squad, and the Sensational Wonder Woman. We'll see you there. As always, you amazing humans out there, thank you so very much for listening. You're the reason why we do this. Visit campsite.bio forward slash not robot to hear all of our episodes on nearly any podcast platform and patreon.com forward slash not a robot podcast for all the exclusive content that we make for our patrons from all of our offerings, movie reviews, TV, anime, gaming, kids corner, pop culture, and more again, starting very cheaply. At just $1 a month. Visit notarobotpodcast.com and that will take you everywhere you need to go for everything not a robot. And with that, there's only one way we say goodbye around here. Until next time. Be good to each other. And don't be a robot. Yeah.